This is the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the show for real estate investors, stock traders, and business owners. We help you keep more of what you earn and protect what you've built. Let's get started. Hey guys, you're watching Tax Tuesday, and my name is Toby Mathis. And I'm Elliot Thomas, manager of the tax advisors here at Anderson. And uh, if you're looking for some tax stuff, you're in the right spot. And by the way, I mean tax stuff is we bring tax knowledge to the masses. So let's go over the rules real quick. In case that this is your first time, this will be your first time hearing the rules. If it's if you're old hat at it, just pretend and play along. All right, number one, uh, we, we've been doing this for years. I don't even know how many episodes we are. We're, we're getting close to 200. Uh, but we just we always wanted a forum where people could ask questions and not get billed because we don't like tracking billable time. Do you like tracking? Hate it. Yeah, <laughs> hate so. it with a passion. Yeah, and so we just said, "Hey, let's just go give it away." And uh, we've been ruining that day ever since, but we can't stop. I'm just kidding. Uh, no, it's a lot of fun reaping and sowing, guys. So like we always figure out do as much as we can. It's <laughs> the day. All right. So let's see how everybody's doing. All right. So first off, you could ask live questions. In the Q&A, we have, uh, because it's tax season, we have, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I thought we'd have like two people, but I, I just counted nine people on to answer your questions. You ask, ask questions specific to you in the Q&A. If it gets too detailed, we're going to ask you to become a client and join our Platinum. Platinum's $35 a month, and you can ask all the questions you want in writing. That's on the tax side. If you're platinum, you can ask all the questions you want orally, verbally, sit there and talk to a lawyer all day long. But the accountants, we like to get things really concise because the words have meaning and, and it's so nuanced in the tax. Plus, we know you'll ask the same thing again next year. So we just put it in your portal. But anyway, so you can go to the Q&A, ask questions. You're not, you do not get billed on this. You can email in questions at taxtuesday at andersonadvisors.com. You're going to see that we pulled, how many did you pull today? Uh, 11 or 12. 11 or 12 <laughs> questions that we're going to read out. We're going to answer live, and that's where we get those. And then we also answer people's questions anyway, just for kicks and giggles. We try to make sure that uh, you don't you don't have to sit there and have that fear or go Google stuff where you get a bad bad answer. Just ask somebody here, and we're always willing to help. If you need, it, we already went over that. Yeah, the whole idea is that this is fast, fun, and educational. We used to do these for hours at a time. When I say hours at a time, how many of you guys remember the two- and three-hour Tax Tuesdays of yesteryear? Oh, <laughs> I would just answer questions until people quit asking them. Now they we do it in about an hour. And then we record it, and we put it on YouTube. So, Surendra, there's the answer to your question is go to my YouTube channel. I'll show you where to go here in a little bit, but somebody might share with you the link to go to YouTube and get all the recordings. I post them on my channel all the time. There you go. Yeah. And I like, I like listening. <laughs> I go back when these guys are doing them. If I'm, if I miss a version and it's pretty interesting, I'm like, Hey, that's a good question. Mm -hmm. So it always keeps us sharp. And believe me, we've been doing this uh, myself. I think this is 192. Episode. This is 192. I believe so. That hey, Kenny, is this 192? All right. <laughs> Kenny says, sure. So 190 something. And uh, I've been doing this for 26 years. So just uh, just started. All right. Let's go over the questions. Oh, shoot. Now I can't read them. I can read them here and I can't read them there. <laughs> I'm just hosed either way. All right. If you have a corporation and your children are the board members. So that's pretty fun. You're working for your kids. Are you able to write off their car and or maintenance and gas for the vehicle? So Elliot's going to answer that. 
Every time I see that, I'm like, you have to answer that one. All right. My spouse and I will file a joint 2022 tax return. She had a $6,000 W or six, yeah, 6K in W2 in 2022. Can I make a 2022 $3,000 contribution to my IRA and we take the 2022 IRA contribution on our joint return? Or must the 2022 contribution be made to her IRA because it is her W-2. So that's going to be fun. Um, somebody says, thanks for the videos. Surrender, you are my new favorite. And uh, we get a lot of chats. Hey, if, if you're out there in in uh, internet world, I know we get a lot of folks on the YouTube. Elliot is looking at them right now, aren't you? Yep, we get a lot of them. Let us know where you're at. I'm always curious as to where people are sitting. I was just in Miami yesterday. Now I'm in Vegas. Uh, love traveling around and meeting people all over the place. But where are you sitting? What city and state, if you're willing to share? Delaware, in my chair. State of exhaustion, right? No, Lexington, Kentucky, the horse capital. Carlsbad. Oh, they're just going too fast. Gilbert, Bozeman, Old Town, Alexandria, Westminster, California, Waldorf, Maryland, Fort Worth. Whew, they're flying. There's somebody from Miami. Buenos Aires, Argentina. Beautiful Austin, actually Georgetown, where Carl used to live. Yep. Eagle, Idaho, Pasadena, Bakersfield, Honolulu, Hawaii. Oh, nice. San Clemente, Houston, Texas. We get people from all over the place. Uh, today we'll have hundreds of people on Tallahassee, Florida, not to be confused with Tallahassee, Alabama. So my dad was from Mobile, so I spent a lot of time in that area. Let's see, Lafayette, Louisiana, Brooklyn, New York. We got people from all over the place. So it's always fun to see. It's just like we can have a little community here, and everybody's all over the place. All right, let me go back to this. I still can't read this. Um, I already did that one. So let's go on to more questions. And we will answer these here in just a second. So I read them out, and then we'll go through and, and, and answer them in turn. Can you discuss the tax benefits of using retirement accounts to fund, start, loan my business? How do I do that? Great question. Can you discuss the tax effects of intangible drilling costs under Section 461 for oil and gas properties? Oof. They're, getting, they're pulling some code out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I paid my kids $12,000 for labor in my rental business. Should I issue them 1099-NEC, non-employee compensation form, used to be the 1099 MISC, right? They still, Correct. Yeah. Yep. So little changes there, but great being very specific. I bought a house in 2022 with plans to rent it, but I'm still working on repairs. Am I able to write off any of the expenses for the 2022 tax year? If not, does that mean I get no tax benefits for this project? They should do a sm uh, one of those frowny faces. Yep. <laughs> um, we'll get into that and we'll tell you all the rules, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, how do I do cost segregation when I purchased and rented out in 2022? How do I take the accelerated depreciation for that house in the first year? Really good questions. And what everybody should be asking themselves when they buy a house and put it into service is, should I be taking this stuff and should I be accelerating it? Uh, because you might get some tax benefit you didn't realize you had. Even if you create a loss, a lot of people don't realize that there's, there's something there for them. It's like a little present waiting to be opened. I just purchased an Airbnb September 1st, 2022, and put it into use September 1st, 2022. I purchased and put it into use the same day. I purchased many items such as furniture and fixtures for renovation. Due to that, I have a net loss for the year. I also want to do bonus depreciation on my furniture and renovations. My accountant said I have a loss and I'm unable to do bonus depreciation. Is this true? Question mark. Can I not take advantage of the 100% bonus depreciation in 2022? If you wrote this question, 
let us know you're out there because this is, yeah, you're getting some some bunk advice and we'll, we'll go over some of it. When should I file as an S-corp instead of disregarded entity if I own single houses, each in a separate LLC? So great question. And there's some, some specific instance when you would use an S because everybody's going, no, yep. <laughs> S-corp in real estate, I heard it was bad. Not always, but uh, there's certain times when you use them. Is there a AGI limit to claim passive losses on a return? In other words, if W-2 income is more than 200K, can I claim passive losses on my rental LLC? If not, can they be carried forward? And how can I claim them next year, assuming the income is more than 200K for next year also? Good questions. And then this is a great, I saw a bar restaurant and I just started smiling. I'm considering (laughs) purchasing a bar restaurant in Florida that is already established, but not doing well due to a change in ownership resulting from divorce. What do I need to consider before making this purchase? We could just give you the laundry list. Anybody out there own a bar restaurant who wants to weigh in? Because we'll, we'll open it up to the group at that point because there's about a million things that somebody might have to say. Hey, if you had uh, some of you guys are asking and you will be receiving. This is my YouTube channel. You can go on there. Pat, Patty, again, we'll share it out. We do not solicit. We do not hit you up for business. What we do is post probably two or three videos a week, including the recordings of the Tax Tuesday and, uh, and losing your sitting spot. That's what you have to consider. But anyway, yeah, now you're behind the bar. That would be horrible. Yeah. Unless you're like Sam. Wrong side of it. Sam from Cheers. Yeah, he just poured his own usually. Yeah, he did. <laughs> I don't know. He never drank. He was an alcoholic and he was recovering. So. Oh, yeah. Remember he always drank soda? That's right, Sam. I'm thinking of Norm. Norm. Norm <laughs> drank a lot. Norm drank Sam's portion. All right, so there's the YouTube. Uh, there's the link, aba.link forward slash YouTube. And uh, some of you guys remember Norm. Norm! You can always tell how old somebody is, boy, <laughs> whether they can remember all that stuff. All right, if you have a corporation and your children are the board members, are you able to write off their car and or maintenance and gas for the vehicle? What say you? Well, first of all, we want to distinguish what's going on with these children. They're board members. Some Sometimes they could also be employees. We, if Anderson sets it up, we have uh, specifically in our documentation that they're not employees, but they are board members and they are eligible for reimbursements. But that's very different from paying for their car or something like that. If it's a reimbursement, you're looking at the mileage reimbursement, not uh, specific expenses as much because it would have to be, if you're going to depreciate or anything like that, it has to be titled in the name of the business. So it couldn't be their car at that point. So, yeah, there's a few rules to look at when you're thinking of a car for an employee, period. Number one, if you're going to write it off as a business expense, you need to go over 50% business usage, which means you're tracking every mile on that car and determining, making sure that that car is being used primarily for business, more than 50%. Otherwise, you have some bad things that could happen as far as recapture. You also only get to write things off up to the threshold of how much you're using it. So if you're using it 70% for business, you get to write off 70% of the expenses, including the depreciation. So a lot of people get this horrible advice from accountants. They say, go out and buy an expensive car that has greater than 6,000 gross vehicle weight at the end of the year, and you're going to get to write it off. And it's like, that sounds neat for that year. And then you got to recapture the whole amount the next year when you drop below 50%. They forgot to tell you that part. Or you're going to have a lease value of that, of the income value of that vehicle as a benefit. So it's wages to you. You're going to have to do withholding. 
and employment taxes on whatever that value is of that car. So you go buy a Land Rover or Range Rover or whatever, and you get a $100,000 car, and you're like, I wrote it off, man. And then the next year, you have $20,000 of taxable income that you have to report. And you're like, but it didn't pay me $20,000. It's like, but you drove the car, and you got to recapture the hundred grand. Exactly you know, right. Yeah, you'd That's end it. up getting both. You're like, so. If you're going to have this, it's best to just have a title in the kid's name, turn it in for reimbursement for any mileage they do derive on behalf of it. And that's the thing. You have 65 and a half cents a mile right now? Yes. And so if you are an employee, it doesn't matter whether you're using it 10 miles, 1,000 miles, 10,000 miles, you track your business use. I use something called Mile IQ, a little app on your phone. And with that app, it'll track all your, wherever you drive and say, was that a business or a uh, personal. I think you swipe left if it's business, right if it's personal, or whichever way. And once you've done a few, like now that I, this is one of our offices here. So we have offices, McLeod, Rainbow, and another office in uh, Summerlin, and I have a home office. I drive in between any of those four locations and it knows it's a business expense, period. Tracks it. Easy peasy. So if your kids are working on your board, then you could say, hey, you know what? We're going to make them employees. We don't have to pay them a wage, but we are going to reimburse their mileage expense and anything that they incur. If it's an officer, it's even easier because those are automatically employees. But the thing that a lot of accountants say that isn't true is that you have to pay a wage. You do not have to. You can just be receiving beautiful tax-free fringe benefits. Here's the hint. They're not reported anywhere on your taxes. Correct. Tax-free. Yep. If Elliot was doing, if I drive for Anderson and I say, hey, here's 100 miles uh, and Turn it's it in. $65 and a, or $65.50 because that's 65 and a half cents a mile. And I say, can I get reimbursed? They reimburse me. Company writes it off as an expense. I do not have to report it. Does the principal apply to any board member? Yes. Uh, I have a friend who's a board member and not a kid or an officer. So if, as long as you choose to treat them as an employee, is commuting from home to work and back a business expense. Only if you have a home office. That's where the administrative office for the home comes into play. And having a home office and then having another place where you work, like if you're a real estate agent or something, you want to make sure you have a home office, an administrative office for your home, so that every time you drive to work, it's a deductible expense. Otherwise, it's commute, and then it would be considered personal. I'm reading the chats. I apologize. Sometimes I do that. Uh, you get them off of YouTube. And if you started reading them, then we'd be in a real problem. <laughs> so don't. All right. My spouse and I file a joint 2022 tax return. So they're married, filing jointly. My wife has, or she had, a $6,000 W-2. Can I make a contribution for three k? And this is the question, right? I'm looking at this going, how much did they make? Because you don't have to pay any tax if you are under the standard exclusion, which right now is what we're at 13850 for single. So probably- 27 plus. And then for last year, it was probably, what was it? 25, 25 Yeah, 25500 mm-hmm. You don't have to pay tax, which means, yes, you can you contribute to an IRA, but why would you contribute to a traditional IRA when you could do a- Roth. Yeah, and not pay tax ever again. It's a really good question going in. I just love that. But this one specifically. It, now, if you're above, and let's just say that they, must, they mistyped, hey, it's 60000 Can I make a contribution? 
Yes, any spouse can make a contribution. So if you have a spouse who works, spouse who stays home, you can make a contribution to spouse who stays home and has no W-2 income or active income. You can make a contribution uh-huh. to that spouse's IRA, traditional or Roth, as long as you file a joint return, right? Correct. See, I didn't even let you jump in and <laughs> right. kill everybody with this. I went hobarting this one. No, I think that's the important issue of knowing that just because one spouse earns income doesn't mean that the other can't contribute. In fact, they can. Married, filing, joint. Yep. It's one of those little nuances that sometimes they mess up and they say, oh, but my wife didn't make money or my husband didn't make money or my spouse didn't make money. How are you? Whatever. But the, the whole idea is that, no, when you're filing jointly, then you can make contribution on each other's behalf as long as you have the active income to do it. Correct. And then don't forget, you have HSAs too. Mm-hmm. Health savings account is what, $7,700 this year? Family? Yeah, for the family, mm-hmm. 38 something. I want to say 38.50. And then what was it last for 2022? Like you could still make contributions mm-hmm. up to the tax deadline till April 15th. Mm-hmm. And it's a large amount that you get a deduction for, and then you never have to, re- you never have to pay tax on it ever as long as you use it for health services, including co-pays and deductibles mm-hmm. and things like that. And then even if you don't use it for health, there is a way to avoid penalties when you get over a certain age. I think it's 59 or something like that, where you get old enough, then you just pay tax when you take it out, kind of like a traditional IRA. And just for clarity, it's April 18th this year, not the 15th, because of yeah. the holiday. I'm going to go in. I'm going to do one caveat here, because uh, Gail's writing something about, hey, with the husband and wife, you have to look at your total income, and there are phase-outs for when an IRA is deductible, and whether you have access to another retirement plan. But there is no income limitation on putting money into a traditional IRA. There's an income limitation to deducting the amount that you put into a traditional IRA. So just put that caveat, because there's some banter going forth on the chat, so I just want to be specific. All right, here's a good one. I'm going to throw this at you, so I'm not tempted to answer it. (laughs) Can you discuss the tax benefits to using retirement accounts to fund, start, loan my business? How do I do that? So I don't know if benefit is the word I would use, but there is a probably one of the more common known plans is what they call the Rob's rollover business, where basically your your retirement plan buys shares of a C-corp that you're setting up. So the money comes out of your plan into the C-corp in exchange for those shares. So now your plan owns the shares, it owns the C-corp, and then you can operate an operating business through your C-corporation. It's been popular. People sometimes like it, and you'll hear success stories out there, but I think probably you see more failures than you do successes. So you remember, this is your retirement money going into a business. Uh, many people have that dream of opening their own restaurant or something like that. That's probably the toughest business. I've opened restaurants. Not I wasn't funding them, but I've, I've been in the startup of them as an employee and saw all the stress that happened to the owners. Uh, so those type of things, I wouldn't really, it wouldn't be my first recommendation to a client using the Rob system, but it is there. It is available. Alternatively, you can take a loan up to $50,000 out of your 401k. That might be a little bit more useful. Use that 50000 for however you want. Whatever you want to invest it in, you do have to pay it back with interest into your plan. But that way, you know, if you have more than 50000 you still have something left in your retirement plan. It didn't all get sucked into your C-corporation where anything in the world can happen, good or bad. Yeah, so you, you basically have, let's look at traditional IRAs, Roth IRAs, 401ks, different types of retirement plans. And you have your different choices. Can I invest 
that money and partner with it? And a lot of people have believed the answer is no because they've heard this disqualified person issue. You can't do ongoing transactions with disqualified parties, but you can do an initial investment into an entity like a, this, it has to be a C-Corp where you make a one-time contribution. So let's say you have $400,000 in your 401k and you're, you want to buy a franchise and you're like, it's $200,000 for the franchise. Where am I going to come up with that money? That's where a Rob's transaction could be your friend. And that's where you set up a, a, a corporation and one-time funding. You both you know, maybe there's cash being put in and you're putting in cash. It's one time, no more in continuing uh, transactions between the entities once that's done. And what it does, is it gives you access and you're partnering with your qualified plan. And then you're spot on. The other route is to borrow. A lot of people don't, you can't borrow from an IRA or a Roth IRA. You can take, you can withdraw from a Roth IRA, the amount that you put in without penalties so if you have to, there's potential to take it from there. Uh, the other thing you look at is when you're, when you're talking about a fund start loan my business, sometimes you're looking at it and you say, hey, who could I borrow from? So like, could I go to my brother and say, could I borrow from your IRA? Maybe that's something. And you're, you're thinking it has to be yours, but you don't realize, wait a second, I could go to a family member who may want to stake me and perhaps I could borrow the money. There's disqualified parties there, but like siblings are not one of them. I couldn't borrow from a, like a, you know, one of my kids or I couldn't borrow from my parents, but, uh, or their IRAs, but I can borrow from a siblings or a friends or something like that. And then you were, you're succinctly put on a 401k, we can borrow and it's up to $50,000 up to 50% per participant. So if it's a husband and wife or a husband, you know, spouses, and they have a certain dollar amount in there, and they each have, let's say, a couple hundred thousand dollars of retirement funds, you could borrow up to $100,000 paid back over five years at federal AFR rates, which are right around 4% right now. Mm. Not bad. And, and fund your business. As far as tax benefits, there's really none. Like, we're just trying to avoid penalties and getting smacked. And yeah. then, the, you know, and if you're in a bad year, like, hey, I'm starting up a business because I lost my job and I'm going to be in a low income year. Maybe that's the time to take an early distribution out of a retirement account. And I hear all the accountants and financial planners yeah. screaming, going, yeah, it's like, it depends on I me. Mean, do so with your eyes open. It's your money. I'm just going to say, hey, if you have the opportunity to, to do something that's life changing or that you make your living out of, and you can calculate and the, the hit is 12% or something like that. I don't care. Pay that. It's when it's, when it's a big hit that you got to be worried. Anything else you want to add on that? No, I think that's it. See, we could take any small subject and make <laughs> it long and windy. All right. Could you discuss the tax effects? Is it effect or effects? Effects. Yeah, it's A, wasn't it? The, the, the arrow affects the aardvark, right? The tax effects <laughs> of intangible drilling costs under section... 461 for oil and gas properties. What is that? What the right. hell is this? Well, I got to come clean on this one. I had to go up and ask Jeffrey about this one, Jeff Webb, our CFO, because he's worked a lot with oil and gas. And your intangibles, I'm familiar with that. In oil and gas, you know, one of the big breaks out there is people could invest in it. Uh, these startup costs, basically intangible drilling costs, IDCs as we call them. And you could get 100% deduction on those costs right away. 461 is something they put in place to kind of tame the investment to make sure that it's actually going towards its stated purpose of getting that well drilled. And basically what 461 says is that 
if you can imagine if we started this project back in January of 2022, and we incurred these intangible costs throughout the year, and now we get to December of 2022, year end, well, 461 says that if you're going to be able to deduct those costs on your 2022 return, you must have commenced the drilling, which they call spudding in the industry, which is actually in the title of the code. You have to start the commencing of drilling the hole by within 90 days of the next tax year. So basically the end of March. And if you do so, then you're allowed to take those costs back in 2022. That's how 461 impacts intangible drilling costs. Yeah, so 461 was a way to, it's a punishment. It's like mm-hmm. a so if, a, if you syndicate an oil and gas investment opportunity and you raise $10 million, but you only put a million of it into action, into drilling, to try to, you're not going to get a deduction for the 10. the 10, right? You only get to write off what they're actually doing. And by the way, the reason people invest in oil and gas is because you get ordinary loss. It is not passive so long as you're at risk for the, uh, at, at the investment side and at, at liability side. So generally these are partnerships and you become a member of the partner, uh, of the partnership and you're digging for oil. And the whole idea is when you're, all that cost of digging the hole, you're gonna write off in your first year. Usually it's about 80% of the investment value, mm-hmm. somewhere around there. So I invest $100,000 into oil and gas. I'm gonna get an income stream for many years, but in that first year, I might get an $80,000 deduction against my W-2 or other income. It might be worth something nice to me. I don't get to double dip, so I don't get the depletion allowance and things like that. I have to start recognizing income pretty early on. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's still, it's a lot of people do oil and gas for that reason. They're looking for the harvesting the, the tax benefits. I've known several clients over the years that do it. I just always say it's hit or miss. Like, you, you know, don't do oil and gas because of the tax breaks, you do oil and gas because of the return, and you get a nice uh, oil, you know, nice tax break and factor it in to your return. Like, hey, I immediately got $37,000 of savings by investing in this thing. Uh, yeah, okay. I'm going to add that in. And then here's the return on the investment, which makes it even more attractive. Fun stuff. All the oil and gas guys are like, yes, <laughs> we've been saying this for years. Yes. Yeah, there's very few investments that give you a big old you know, attaboy, right? When you start in real estate and oil and gas. Yeah, just get that drilling commenced though within 90 days at the end of the year. End of the year, right? So not within 90 days of your investment. If I invest in January, 2023, as long as they start the drilling by March of 2024, you're good. That's what that code provision's about, right? Correct. Yeah. (laughs) All right, I paid my kids 12K for labor in my rental business. Very smart. Should I issue them a 1099 NEC form? What do you think? Well, perhaps. It kind of depends. At this point, you've already paid them. So if we're talking 2022, probably now, yes, you would issue them a 1099. Uh, The better route is if they're being paid from an entity that's owned by mom or dad, that's disregarded to mom and or dad or one of the parents, or it's a partnership owned by by mom and dad, then you can pay them W-2 as an employee and they won't have to pay any employment tax if they're under 17. Would you run that through payroll or would you just? Yeah, it has to go through payroll. You're going to want to go through payroll so that you have withholdings and things like that. But I guess you don't need to. If it's because, kids, they're not, yep. they're not going to even have a tax return. Yeah, you're not even going to have the a. The kids paid 12K. Mm-hmm. And if they're 18 or under 18. Yep, that's the only income they earned. And they didn't pay. They, didn't they don't even have a tax return. Yeah, correct. So how do they know? Uh, 
Well, the, the form, the W-2, would still get reported to the IRS, so what? they'll have the copy of the W-2G, I think it is. Or no, that's gambling. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but there's a, form, a master form with all the W-2s. The W-2s, right? Yeah. What if that's the only W? Like, hey, I just paid my kid. Uh, it's fine. I mean, yeah, they wouldn't have to file the return. You're correct. Yeah, especially if they're below the standard deduction. They just don't have withholding requirements or employment taxes. Now, if they're over 18, different animal. 18 and above. So if you have kids that are 18 years old or 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, you know, they're in college, you pay them and you give, you're going to give them that 1099 if you didn't run them through payroll, then they're going to have employment taxes. They're going to have the self-employment tax, but that's it. They're probably not going to pay any federal income taxes. Correct. Well, employment taxes, old age, disability and survivors, 12.4%, Medicare 2.9. You get to write off a portion of it. It's going to end up being a total of a 14.1% tax up to about $170,000. So if it's 12,000, that's what you're gonna, that's the only tax they're gonna be paying, period. End of story. So you're gonna pay very little tax, uh, which we like. It's not free, but it's super, super good. I think Al's asking about employing a, a one-year-old. That's, uh, I wanna be reasonable. Al? <laughs> Al? Now there's a, uh, there's a court case, a tax court case of a child who was six years old and they were using the images of the child in their advertising. And the child was allowed to use, I think it was Screen Actors Guild rates, uh -huh. which were pretty high. And that was considered reasonable compensation. So you got to look and see what are they doing. I suppose you could do that with people that were really, really young if you're uh -huh. using them for advertising. But then you have to have a business that, you know, aligns itself to where you can use children in advertising for marketing uh -huh. purposes. You got it. The next Gerber baby or something. You know, that was Michael's grandmother. Really? The Gerber baby was actually wow. a, a woman. And uh, yeah, it was Michael Bowman's. I think it was his, either his great-grandma or his grandma. How about that? Hey, Kenny, do you remember? Yeah, great-grandma or grandma. Well, that's yeah, great. weird. Weird stuff you didn't need to know. Every time we say <laughs> something that you never knew about, so Michael always comes out and says, Gerber baby. <laughs> Gerber baby was a girl. All right. Fun stuff. Fun stuff. Hey, speaking of fun stuff, come and join us for uh, our one-day tax and asset protection workshop. Clint and I do these every other week. I think it's every other week. Maybe it's more often. <laughs> We're doing a live one. I mean, a live, like, as in, like, people are showing up. Like, they're always, the, the even the virtual events, we're doing them live. But the... Live Live, where we're actually all getting together in, in, in Orlando. What is that? That's uh, May 18th to the 21st. And I think we're having an infinity on the first. What's 18th, 19th? You know, so the 18th is the, the infinity day. So the 18th, 19th, 20th, 21st in Orlando. Um, there's still tickets. We sold out the one last year. We did one in uh, Las Vegas. So we said, hey, let's go to Disney World and goof off, a.k.a. like doing an event. For us, it's good goofing <laughs> off. We always have fun with our clients. Mm. And uh, you can come and uh, check it out if you like to uh, immerse yourself with around a bunch of really cool investors. That's what it is. We just have a, we just have a hoot. And I think I'm going to get, I think it's going to be Ryan Gibson. Hopefully, it's going to be Ryan Gibson and Eric Dodds and a few guys coming out teaching on the investment side. That day one is going to be a really cool day. We do something called Infinity Investing. And uh, like, if, if, if you want to pick brains of people that are being successful right now, this is a good place to do it. And then we have the, uh, the free events are the, the one-day virtual events, the tax and asset protection event, where Clint does a really good job. Like We've been doing these for a while now. Mm -hmm. We're dialing it in pretty tight. 
He does a great job on land trust, LLCs, corporations, how to use Wyoming statutory trust. If you're in California, how you can work around the, the franchise tax and minimize a lot of those. Uh, but we do that. And then I go over legacy planning and a lot of the tax planning for real estate, including the difference between dealers and wholesalers and, and uh, the active income that those things earn, Airbnb, Airbnb, when you can take those losses against your W-2 when you can't, real estate professional, uh, depreciation, how to calculate it, all that fun stuff. We do that on those Saturdays. So by all means, feel free. People always ask for the recordings of those, and we do not record and, and send those out. Those are live events, and one of the things we do is give a, we do twice a month, we'll do an offer that is available for about an hour. I'm not going to tell you when we do it because it's a reward for those people that are willing to, to spend the day with us. And it's always pretty savory. Like it's always the good, the good stuff. All right. I bought a house in 22, 2022 with plans to rent it, but I'm still working on repairs. Uh-oh. Am I able to write off any of the expenses for the 2022 tax year? Let's answer that one first. What do you think? Uh, that's a No. Unfortunately, all those costs prior to being available for rent, placed in the service, which have you, whatever have you, uh, it's just going to go to basis to be depreciated, no cost up to that point. Yeah, you get this weird thing. When you have either a vacant home or one that's not put into service, you can't have losses, number one. Number two, you can't depreciate and write off expenses until it's available for service. So like if it has to be available for rent. And this, the facts here, it sounds pretty clear that it's not available for rent. Maybe it was. Maybe you bought the house and it was a rental and you waited for the tenants to move out and then you started fixing it up, in which case we might have a different story. But if this thing was, hey, I bought it, it was empty, I'm going to rent it, but I have to fix it up first, so I'm fixing it up, those expenses are just going to be added into basis. Mm -hmm. You'll get them eventually. You're going to get to depreciate them, but yeah, you're not going to get a big loss. Yeah, most the frowny face. Fra yeah. <laughs> what if I'm house hacking? Can I de deduct the expenses? Somebody asked that. You can, at, at the very least, up to the amount of income you have, probably. Proportionate. Yeah, proportionate. Yeah, if you're house hacking, you have your two. Like, just imagine a house hacking as a duplex. It's just instead of having like a traditional duplex, you just have a house. You're like, that room is yours. That room is yours. Maybe some common area. Yep. So you're going to have to figure out which square footage is used for what, and then you can do proportionate. And then somebody has asked, can their 2022 expenses be added to the cost basis? Correct. Yes. That's a very, yes, Brendan. 100%. You nailed it. We should give it a, I nailed it on Tax Tuesday t-shirt. <laughs> Actually, maybe we won't. I just thought about that for a second. <laughs> uh, Elliot. <laughs> All right. How do I do cost segregation, which I purchased and rented out in... 2022. So you bought a property in 2022. So what, what do you think? So this, this is the reason I put the flow of questions in the order I did, because we just talked about, Toby mentioned, well, once it's in service, you can do depreciation. Cost segregation is all about the depreciation and how we're going to deduct it. In fact, it's actually the proper way in the code to deduct. So could you, if you uh, purchase and rent it out, well, now it's placed in the service, you will have depreciation. And yes, you can do a cost segregation study and take advantage of that. Yeah. So yeah, you can do the study. And then how do I take accelerated depreciation for that house in the first year? So now you're looking to the code back in 2022, which I believe we were still under 100% bonus. It's now in 23, we're at 80% bonus. 
So once the study's done, the cost seg, and it's broken out the pieces of the house into five-year property, 10, 15, 20, maybe 27 and a half or 39 if it's commercial, anything under 20 you, is going to be eligible for the bonus depreciation, and you can mm-hmm. deduct in 2022 up to 100%. And that doesn't need to be done until your, your 2022 return is, is filed. So with extension, as we always tell you to extend, that's going to give you out to October 15th. Yeah, so you just hit a bunch of really important topics. I'm, I'm just going to break them yeah. down just real quick. Yeah. So the cost segregation is separate from the accelerated depreciation. That's the first thing to always know. So cost segregation is taking a property, like we're in a building here, a commercial building, and it's breaking out the carpeting and the cabinets and the appliances and the, the uh, parking lot and the land improvements and separating those all out from the structure. Right, anything that's easily to remove, I'm going to write off over a shorter lifespan. Like this carpet here, five-year property, it's going to—it's not going to make it 39 years. This is a commercial building, so it's non-residential. So that's step number one: is in a cost segregation, you're breaking those down. People conflate these all the time, and I don't—I don't blame them because they go hand in glove. But understand that you can do a cost seg on anything, even without bonus depreciation. It just breaks it down and you write things off faster. So if I have carpeting that's $20,000 carpeting, I'm writing it off over five years, so I'm getting $20,000 of deduction in five years as opposed to spreading it out over 27 and a half years if it's residential or 39 years if it's non-residential. So that's number one. I'm breaking it into five, seven, 15-year property, and then you apply the accelerated depreciation, which is any of those or all of them, I have to pick a category and say, write it all off in this year or whatever the amount mm-hmm. is. In 2023, it's 80%. But if you put a property into service in 2020 and you do the cost seg election in 2023, you still get to use whatever the amount was when it went into service. So you'd still get 100%. So if we're using 2022, for our example, it was 100% bonus depreciation. And what that means is even if they choose to, hey, I'm going to cost seg it and I'm going to accelerate the depreciation, even if they wait a couple years to do that, they still get the 100% bonus depreciation. But I can do 100% bonus depreciation on the five-year property. I could do the 100% bonus depreciation on the seven-year property. I could do the bonus depreciation on the 15-year property, or all of them, or two of the three, but, but I have to just choose to treat them all the same as long as it's, it's, it's assets with a similar lifespan or a property that has similar lifespan. Once I do that, then I can get these huge deductions, and that's what you hear about. You see people doing cost seg and bonus depreciation on apartment buildings, on you know, their single families that are a little bit more on the cut, probably on the higher end, but they get these usually... 30%-ish of the improvement value. Uh, when it's uh, like self-storage or manufactured homes, it can be 80% of the improvement value. You're getting these huge deductions, just huge. And uh, it's very potent, but it's the five, seven, and 15-year property. So first the cost seg, then the bonus. You never do bonus without a cost seg, which is why you almost always hear them uh, being conflated with each other. And uh, you get to choose. You get to choose. You could wait. Point out that Sherry's late today. Sherry? <laughs> Calling you out. We love Sherry. Sherry's been around for a long time. You're okay to be late. Once in a while. 
Nah, she can lay it all <laughs> she wants. We go, you know, she used to come out here. We used to go uh, rent the motorcycles and go cruising around Lake Mead. There stuff. you go. <laughs> Sherry's a trooper. All right. I just purchased an Airbnb September 1st, 2022 and put into use in September of 2022. I purchased many items such as furniture and fixtures for renovation. Due to that, I have a net loss for the year. I also want to do bonus depreciation on my furniture and renovations. My accountant said I have a loss and I'm not able to take bonus depreciation. I just realized they said appreciation. I don't know what appreciation is. It's depreciation. Writing it off. Is this true? Can I not take advantage of the 100% bonus depreciation in 2022? That's the whole point, is to be able to take that loss offset against other W-2 income. Now, I don't know all the details here. Your, your accountant could be right in the fact that maybe the, the loss won't go off against your ordinary income if you didn't materially participate in the running of that. So there's other factors to it, but if, yeah, either way, you're going to get the deduction and you can take bonus depreciation. Yeah, I think they're conflating two things here is number one, if you have an Airbnb, the question is, is it rental activity or is it a regular trade or business activity, which if you're averaging seven days or less tenant or guest, each guest each day is averaging seven days or less, then it is not a rental activity according to the IRS and the regs. It is a active business. And the only question is, did you materially participate in it? It sounds weird. You know, you're like, what? Did you run the place or did you have somebody else do it? If you ran it and you, you, you handled everything or you spent at least 100 hours and nobody else spent more than 100 hours or at least you and your spouse spent at least 500 hours, whatever it adds up to, that is ordinary loss. There's no restriction. Yes, you could bonus depreciation. You could write off everything and wipe out a ton of your income. I think there's a there's a slight limitation, like what, half a million dollars or something? 540, 540,000 marriage fund and joint. Yeah, so there's a, you could take a big deduction. Even if you were passive, let's just say that you were Airbnb, seven days or less, and you had a property manager do everything. You could still create the loss. It's just going to be passive activity because you did not materially participate. No different than if Elliot and I opened up a pizza parlor. Elliot worked the pizza parlor. I didn't. I stayed home and ordered the pizzas. He stayed in the shop and made the pizzas. He's a material participant. I'm passive. Makes a hundred grand. He gets, let's say we're 50-50. He would get $50,000 of active income. He's going to have to pay self-employment tax on it. Me? No, I get, I get passive income. It's still ordinary, but I get passive. I'm not going to have uh, employment taxes. Turn it around. We lose money. Elliot's a crappy pizza maker. We paid too much for the dough. We bought a big pizza oven, whatever, fill in the blank, and it creates a $100,000 loss. He could take his, his, his half of it and write it off against his W-2 income. Me, it's passive. I need passive income to write off my, my passive losses. So it looks around for any other passive income sources, which might be rental real estate. It might be other businesses that I have that I don't materially participate in. It could even be I sold passive real estate and I have and I have capital gain that is passive capital gain that I could use my passive loss to offset. So there's all these little options. But what I can tell you for sure is you do get to take advantage of it. And that is bunk advice, unless possibly you misunderstood them and they were thinking, Hey, well, no, there's, there's not even a case where they, it could be wrong, where they didn't have it put into service and it was sitting vacant. I, I can't think of it. They're just wrong, period. Move on. 
And I used to make pizzas at Papa John's. I just got to throw that out here at 215 and Eastern in the Vegas Valley. So shout out to them. <laughs> really? Papa John's? Yeah, I used to Is spin it. Good? And it was I wasn't very good at it, no. <laughs> I didn't last long. <laughs> I'm one of those guys that buys the, the, the brownie pizza. Yeah. I'm like, I'm going to go get a pepperoni. Yeah, nah. go, yeah. <laughs> Wife yells at me. <laughs> I'm not allowed to do that. All right. When should I file as an S-corp instead of disregarded entity? If I own single houses in a separate LLC, or if I own single houses, each in a separate LLC, question mark. What do you think? Well, we're going to go with the, the normal general rules that you never want to put appreciable assets, that would be real estate rentals, into a corporation S or C. Now, there is an exception or two there that Toby's going to probably go over here. But we often like to see those continue to be in disregarded LLCs that are going to flow through to your return through maybe a Wyoming holding, but not through a corporation. Yeah. So the the problem with real estate in a corporation is when you take it out to refi, it's a taxable event. So it's really tough. Once it goes in there, it's really tough to get it back out. If it's a C-corp, it's really horrible. S-corp, you could sell it. You still get capital gain treatment. It just flows through. So it's like, hey, if you leave it in there, it's not horrible. But getting it out at some point can be frustrating because, again, if you refi it and they say you got to take it out, that's a distribute. Like, that's a sale. They're going to treat it as though you just sold the property and you're going to have all that gain recognition or you're going to have a taxable event to the shareholder because it's going to be considered wages. But whatever the case, bad, usually. The times you do and you put an entity into an S-corp is if you're going to sell it and it's part of a dealer activity. In other words, you're not an investor, but you are actually buying to flip houses. Then the S-corp is your friend because it can help you eliminate a bunch of the employment taxes and it's great for asset protection. It's great to give you an accountable plan and a numerous, you know, a whole bunch of write-offs. And in that particular case, you could have a single LLC that owns a bunch of disregarded LLCs and each LLC do a flip in and then you close it down afterwards so that you don't have to worry about the legacy liability that goes along with having, you know, flipped a house. I know a lot of folks that do this and they just keep setting up additional LLCs. It's part of the reason why we have our titanium service so that they're not worried about the price because it's included. And they just boom, 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 boom. And they flip a house. They set up another one, flip another house. They set up another one, flip another. And then they're just dissolving them as they go uh, so that, again, if something bad happens on the property in the future, that they don't get drug in as a previous owner. From a tax standpoint, it's really hard for me to justify using the S-Corp with anything other than doing development or dealer activities. Exactly. And one more point to why we don't like to do it. Toby talks a lot about this. What if you're, you hold a bunch of rentals and you want to leave them to your children or your beneficiaries or something like that? If they were trapped in an S-corp, what they're going to inherit are shares for the S-corp stock, mm-hmm. which it might be up to fair market value, whatever the value of the houses are when, you inherit, when they inherit it. But they're not going to be able to take any more depreciation. They're not going to get stepped up value in the houses themselves to be able to depreciate. Because the shares are stepped up. Exactly. So another reason why we, yeah, very bad. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I guess because if I stepped up and then I sold the, let's say that I was selling to a third party and instead of selling the property, I sold the entity. Maybe then you'd be okay. But otherwise, it seems like you're losing a pretty big size tax benefit. Absolutely. Aye, aye, aye. Is there an AGI limit to claim passive losses on a return? Question mark. I'll just let's just answer that one first off. There's no limit to being able to show passive losses on your return. There might be the $150,000 overall limit for the $25,000 that you can deduct. That's the active 
participation mm-hmm. loss where if you have rental activity and as a taxpayer, is it married filing jointly? Correct. And you make $100,000 or less, you could write off up to $25,000. And it phases out between $100,000 and $150,000. For every $2, you make over hundred grand, you lose a dollar of the deduction. So you get up to hundred fifty grand, you lose it. But there's no other limitation. And that's not the passive loss. That's treating a passive loss as an ordinary loss. There's really no AGI limit on passive losses. Correct. So passive loss is passive loss. It could only be used against passive income with exceptions. And the exceptions aren't even that, hey, I can use a passive loss against something else. It's that it's no longer treated as passive loss. If you're a real estate professional, then your losses from rental activities are no longer passive. They're considered ordinary. If you are an active participant in real estate and you make less than $100,000, then it's no longer passive loss. It's $25,000 of ordinary loss. So I don't know, you know, I'm trying to think of what the calling of the question would have been. Maybe if they make too much money and they have a bunch of passive loss coming through, whether they're not allowed to use it. Suspended passive loss rules. Yeah, that, that might be it. I'm trying to think of a scenario where somebody might be confused on that, but... You know, so if you have a doctor making seven hundred thousand dollars a year and they're worried about this, I get it. Maybe they buy they buy into a syndication and kicks down a whole bunch of passive losses, and and they they have other rental activity that's generating income, but they're afraid they're going to lose the passive loss because of an AGI limit. There isn't one. You could absolutely run that. Then somebody says, if not, can they be carried forward? And how can I claim them next year, assuming that income is more than two hundred k? So we can ignore the two hundred k. There is no limitation, but can losses, passive losses be carried forward? Absolutely. They're called suspended, but yeah. When are those unlocked? So if I have passive Mm -hmm. losses, do they ever switch to ordinary loss? They can. If you sell the property that's creating the losses, that will release the PALS. We call it the passive activity losses, the suspended Mm -hmm. losses. They'll come out and uh, help you reduce any taxable income for that particular year of sell. Mm-hmm. would be a big one, or if you had other passive income. You have to get rid of substantially all the activities. So they use this substantially all. So if you aggregate, let's say you're aggregating your rental activity and you got 10 rentals and you sell one of them, you're not going to get, it's not going to unlock. If you sell eight of them, you probably could. But uh, that's questions for an accountant. I could spin your brain a few times. Just keep running through these. There's some good questions here. I've been enjoying this today. You guys ask good questions today. And... The chat is absolutely fun. Something about a game of chickens running along. <laughs> John, John, just look at you. <laughs> right, I'm considering purchasing a bar restaurant. Oh, this is that one. Yep. <laughs> That's what we need at the end. We need a drink. I'm considering, like Sam from Cheers, the soda water. Not, no. I'm uh, considering purchasing a bar restaurant in Florida that is uh, already established but not doing well due to a change in ownership resulting from re- divorce. Like, I've just tried to visualize this. It was doing great. And then they started fighting and nobody would show up and drink anymore. I would just show up to watch the yeah. theatrics. It's entertainment. Like, yeah. I was like, <laughs> it, was, it was doing worse. And then they started fighting and then everybody was watching. No, I'm just kidding. So somebody's probably not paying attention. What do I consider? What do I need to consider before making this purchase? Whether you want to own a bar. <laughs> That'd be a- That'd be number one, you know, the type of business you're getting into. Mm-hmm. That aside, one thing that we always look at when we're buying a business, are you buying the assets or are you buying ownership of the entity that owns the bar in this mm-hmm. case? Big differences between the two. If you buy the entity, mm-hmm. 
you're picking up any prior litigation that has yet to surface with it. So we never recommend that one from the buyer standpoint. If you're doing an asset purchase, which would be the alternative, you're going to get stepped up. Well, you're going to get the basis, the cost basis that you bought the assets at, which means you can now depreciate those assets at the, the value you paid for them. If you buy the, the, the entity itself, it already had the assets in it. It's already depreciated them some amount, at least if not fully. And again, just like we talked about in the previous question, you don't get any stepped-up basis in those assets, so you're going to just take over depreciation right where they left off, putting yourself at a tax disadvantage. And when you're buying a bar, that again, you just put it really well. Most people that are buying a business want to buy the assets because they can depreciate them. So if I buy the shares, let's say this is a, a, a corporation, S-Corp or an LLC tax as an S-Corp, and I want to buy the shares of that entity, I don't get to write that off. Let's say I spend a million bucks, I get no tax benefit out of it. If I buy the assets instead, I can write, all, I can write a lot of it off, depending on what the asset is. If it's, even if it's just the goodwill of the name, it's 15-year property, I can write that off over a stretch. But if I buy the equipment, I can write it off immediately. The, the book of clients at the bar. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the, yeah. Uh, but the other thing is if it's real estate. So when you buy a business that has a physical location, quite often the physical location is being self-rented to that business. And people aren't really good about breaking these things out. You can do what's called a grouping election and treat the real estate in the bar as one activity so you don't have passive losses from the real estate. So if you're buying this because of the real estate, you might find a little tax benefit that comes out as a result. Uh, but you do want to make sure you have a very good, either a business broker or transactional attorney who does the asset sales. Like this is not something you cut your teeth on, you know, hey, I'll get that experience. I've never bought or sold a business before. You don't want to be doing that. You want to have somebody who's been there, done it a couple times, a few times. And, uh, there's a really good one. I had a guy, Trentley, on the podcast. I yeah. think I've had him on a couple of times. It's and he's on one. my YouTube channel. And I would suggest that you take a, maybe take a gander, because that's a guy that's, I think he's the number one business broker in the country as far as uh, transactions. Like he just buys and sells a ton of businesses. And you want to run by somebody like that and say, what is the bar worth? Not somebody that's going to like, hey, I'm a valuation expert. How about somebody that actually buys and sells businesses all the time, including a lot of bars? And they could say, this is usually how it's valued. So for example, if I'm looking at a services industry, it might be seven times EBITDA or something like that. Uh, or, hey, it's a rule of thumb, one times gross or 1.3 times gross or something like that in particular businesses. And a bar might be some other calculation. But that way, you know whether or not you're paying the right price. And then I go back to my original, do you make sure that this is something you want to do? I want to buy a bar because a lot of people romanticize about it. You might want to talk to some people that are in that area that have bars or maybe already have, and they say it's the great lifestyle. We love it. But you want to talk to them and say, you know, what's the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, but from a tax standpoint, it could have a huge impact the way you actually structure the deal. And, uh, you know, again, maybe talk to your banker too and see what they've seen. COVID killed a lot of mm -hmm. restaurants and bars yep. and uh, see, oh, there, Patty pulled up the Trent Lee video. He's just a great business broker. Mm -hmm. And again, if you want someone who sees it, does it, swims in those waters and day in and day out, he's a really good guy to talk to. And he's a really nice dude. I've known him for years. And it's always fun to have him on. 
because he's uh, pretty generous with his time. All right. Oh, shoot. We're back to YouTube channel. There you go. And if you have, if you, if you like this type of stuff or if you have other questions, probably done a video on it. There's, uh, how many videos are on here? Uh, it doesn't say on here. I know it's over 500. 544. Really? Where? Oh, uh, you're looking. Upload tax planning. Oh, 544 videos. There you go. So there's just a couple. So you can go there. And if there's there's a topic, you may want to take a look at it, see what we've done. You could have checked us too. You could check us from years ago. I was doing uh, events back in the during COVID. You know, we could see what was going to happen in the real estate market. We were calling it a long time. We, we, we called exactly what's happening right now uh, last year, and people were yelling at us. We uh-huh. did one with video. Clint and I were at odds, and I was like, facts, facts don't care about our feelings. Here's what they're saying. And, <laughs> uh, and people are still like, I don't know why it hasn't crashed. Nine million, I think they're looking for houses. Seven million. Seven. We're shy. A lot of demand. Not a lot of like people don't want to sell their house when they have a you know two percent loan on it. Now they and if they refied it, it double or triple their payment. They're just not going to do it. So you have no supply, tons of demand. What's that going to do to prices? It's going to keep them pretty steady. It's not going to drop like a lead balloon like we had in two thousand and eight when everybody was under underwater and the rents wouldn't support it. Although you are seeing a huge corrective cycle right now. The prices, the cost for real estate is up here and the rental value is down here. I hate seeing that. What that just means is everybody who can't afford their house, if they have a an arm or something and they can't afford it, then guys like me buy it down here mm-hmm. and BlackRock and everybody else, everybody's going to be saying, hey, and uh, that's what you don't want. So hopefully... Rents are going to keep going up and yeah. catch up. That's my that's my theory. I'm like, rents are going to keep going up. And they're like, no. But that'll keep you from having a big crash. Otherwise, you are going to see some price adjustment. It might be like 10% less. But I don't, I don't see us doing a 2008. I stand by that. All right, guys. Questions, by all means, send them in to taxtuesdayandersonadvisors.com. Send in your questions during the next two weeks. We might grab yours, uh, your question. <laughs> Yeah, we might. <laughs> yeah. And uh, visit us at Anderson Advisors. Anything else, Elliot? No, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, pleasure to be here. And uh, one way or another, I'll see you next time in two weeks. Yep. We'll see you guys and have a great couple weeks and uh, enjoy tax season. Get those extensions in. Get your extension. You don't have to pay your, like, you have to pay your taxes. You don't have to file your return on April 15th. File an extension and give yourself a nice long stretch to make sure you got it right. April 18th. (laughs) Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode. 